Welcome to Silicon Valley Vibes, a podcast from SVLG that talks to the people driving the conversations that matter most for our innovation ecosystem. I'm your AI announcer, Vivi. For our first conversation of the day, we're hearing from NASDAQ's EVP of corporate platforms, Jeff Thomas, who covers all of the incredible things going on with their ESG efforts and initiatives. Then, we sit down with Dr. Rao Malpuri, the CEO of VIEW, who covers a wide range of issues around sustainability, climate change, their smart windows, and even a bit about how VIEW's technology can help in addressing some of the housing shortages in the Bay Area and beyond. And delivering this phenomenal content to your organic tympanic audio receptacles are our SVLG hosts, Nadia Anderson, Chief of Staff and SVP of Strategy, as well as her co-host, Peter Leroux Munoz, General Counsel and SVP of Tech and Innovation. Welcome to the show. I'm Peter Leroux Munoz. And I'm Nadia Anderson, and we're excited to be bringing you Silicon Valley Vibes. On this episode of SVB, I sat down with Dr. Raul Mulpuri, the CEO of VIEW, and we covered a wide range of issues around sustainability, climate change, their smart windows, and even a bit about how VIEW sees the current state of commercial real estate as an opportunity to address the housing shortage. But first, I met with Jeff Thomas, the EVP of Corporate Platforms at NASDAQ, to discuss ESG and NASDAQ's efforts around issuer advocacy. I also learned a lot about NASDAQ, including the fact that there are actual people who work there, and it's more than just a ticker you see on TV. Let's listen in. So today I am pleased and privileged to have a one-on-one conversation with Jeff Thomas, who is EVP of Corporate Platforms at NASDAQ. Jeff, welcome. Thanks, Nadia. Take a moment and explain to us what NASDAQ is. I think many of us are familiar with seeing the tickers scroll across the TVs and, you know, New York. But give us a little bit of color and context into the entity, the organization. Yeah, so everybody knows us as a U.S. stock exchange and home for some of the most innovative companies of the world. And we are. Uh, but we're actually way more than that now. So a lot of people don't know this, but NASDAQ actually went public in 2003. So we are a public company listed on NASDAQ. Um, and we are a financial technology provider to the world's capital markets. Our purpose is to advance economic progress for all. And we do that through some really interesting ways that people maybe don't know about. One, we actually own and operate over two dozen exchanges around the world. We sell our technology to over 100 other exchanges exchanges like Hong Kong and Australia and Singapore and Dubai, been going through a process of uh, acquiring other businesses that help to provide the trusted fabric of the financial markets. So we do things like helping uh, small and medium banks detect fraud and anti-money laundering. We are uh, working on a big acquisition right now where we're going to help financial institutions with treasury and risk management. And then we have a host of uh, ways that we help both public and private companies develop their operations around investor relations, corporate governance, and ESG reporting. And those are a mix of both SaaS platforms, software as a service, as well as advisory solutions. And so we uh, are a pretty scaled technology provider into the uh, capital markets. No, thank you for that explanation. I, again, want to admit that I was surprised to like meet and get introduced to people who worked at NASDAQ. I thought it was all behind the scenes technology and innovation. Um, so keen to hear a little bit about how you ended up at NASDAQ. What's your bio? What's your backstory? Coming out of school, I was an electrical engineer, moved out to Silicon Valley in 2000. 
My first job was working in technology at a semiconductor company. Pretty quickly decided I wanted to get into sales and pretty quickly figured out that selling semiconductors wasn't that exciting. So then I, uh, I moved into financial services. I worked at three different startups, none of which were really big outcomes. And my wife said to me, hey, you're not great at picking startups. You should try to go get a job at a big company again. And so I did. One of the startups I'd worked for was a company called Second Market, where we traded pre-IPO stock. And NASDAQ was actually launching a competitor called NASDAQ Private Market. So they brought me in to launch that platform in 2014. We ended up buying Second Market in 2015. So that was a successful outcome. And then uh, in 2016, I got promoted to run the listings team on the West Coast. In 2018, I took on a, a larger role to support some of those corporate solutions around investor relations, ESG, and corporate governance. And then this year was promoted to run the business unit. We now serve 10,000 corporations around the globe. And so that's both our listed companies as well as all of the clients of our different products and services. No, amazing. And congratulations on the promotion. It seems like your career was based on a series of yeses and a little bit of experimentation, but also some sage guidance from a partner about where your strong suit sort of like lied. That's it. She definitely, uh, you know, I've relied on her for a lot of big decisions in my life. She knows uh, me better probably than I know myself. And she's a really good read on, on other people, too. So she's helped me avoid some opportunities that probably wouldn't have been a great outcome. I love it. I love it. A life, a life lesson for our listeners out there about making sure you have good people you're connected to and good people in your circle and good people in your life overall, because it matters. So one of the things that I've always followed and paid attention to NASDAQ in the headlines was its work on this word ESG that we hear buzzing around. Before we start talking about NASDAQ's point of view and position, tell us a little bit about what ESG means for you and what it means overall. Yeah, so I think you really have to kind of take a, a big step back and understand what's driving the trends around ESG. So for those that don't know, ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And so you can think of it as kind of non-financial disclosures that investors are asking companies to make so that they can measure the risk uh, of a company's performance and their future prospects. So where does this come from? Uh, if you think about the world of investment management, there are asset managers that have to deploy capital and make investment decisions to buy and sell, for example, public stocks. Those asset managers raise capital from what are known as asset owners. Think pensions, endowments, groups that have a large pool of capital and they deploy that money to asset managers who then actually make the investment decisions. Uh, a lot of those asset owners, the pensions and endowments, frankly, looked at their position in the world. They say, look, we're directing the flow of capital to these asset managers, and we want to have a bigger impact on the world than just getting a financial return. So they started telling the asset managers that they needed to start collecting all this information from, you know, for example, public companies. And so that's really what kicked off the whole trend. The other big mega trend that we've been seeing is that as uh, the baby boomer generation is retiring and transferring a lot of their wealth to millennials, you have a lot of wealth transfer to people that care about things more than just the financial returns. And so the younger generation is definitely looking at not just how much profit a company produces, but what's the good they're doing in the world to all their stakeholders, uh, including their customers, their employees, their communities. And so you've got a lot of drivers around this. Um, and so what this has done is created a bunch of new complexity for public companies to deal with, where they're getting requests for a lot more information to be disclosed than they historically have had to. It's usually just been about the, the numbers. And that's caused the regulators to get involved as well to say, hey, if people are going to disclose this, we want to make sure there's some consistency and some standards 
and that people are doing this in a fair way and that there's some controls on it. So that's a little bit about the kind of how and why ESG has come about and you know some of the impacts it's had on public companies. No, I love that explanation. And I can say as a millennial, we definitely care not only about the what gets ha- what happens, but also how you go about doing it and what impact you have in the world. So it makes total sense. And I think it's funny because in talking to many people, charting the course of how we got here today, and I think a lot of the things that were prominent during my formative years have led us there. You know, the golden rule, the Sesame Streets of the world and things of being like a good neighbor, Mr. Rogers, all those things have put us into a position where we look at corporations for, through a number of lenses and how they interact with things. So that is very helpful. Thank you for that explanation and definition. I think we all are a little smarter for it. So tell me specifically about how NASDAQ is approaching ESG and that CSR space, which is another three-letter word I'm going to throw out to our audience there. Absolutely. So CSR is kind of known as corporate social responsibility. And so one of the things that public companies have started to do is try to standardize um, what data they're providing Um, And one of the ways that they've done that is by publishing CSR or corporate uh, sustainability reports. And so on an annual basis, they gather up all this environmental, social and governance data that's relevant to their business uh, and they package it up and they want to put out a report to kind of provide good information out there to investors, customers, employees, all their stakeholders. That's obviously a big lift. There's a lot of different ways that companies get measured here. There's a lot of different frameworks. There's a lot of different rating agencies. There's a lot of just different uh, metrics that investors are asking for. So one of the things we started doing about five years ago now was working with our customers on both an advisory basis, but now also through some software called NASDAQ Metrio to help them understand what are the metrics that they should be disclosing? What are their peers disclosing? And how are they getting judged in the markets? And then helping them operationalize that where they can start to gather that information up through some uh, automated software and then publish it out to the raters and rankers to these public facing reports and then through internal dashboards. And so this is a big theme for us at NASDAQ. When we see complexity in the world, we try to apply uh, technology and automation to it. Uh, We were the first electronic stock exchange. So again, stocks used to trade on the, the floor of an exchange with pieces of paper. We said, probably do that a little faster with computers. So it's no different here. We saw a lot of companies using Excel spreadsheets and uh, a lot of manual processes. And we said, hey, we think we can automate this with some good technology. So we're there to kind of partner with our companies to help make it more efficient to be a public company. You know, as a tech person, I love efficiencies. And I also am always curious about technology being able to be applied in order to take things that were done one way and sort of like streamlined, but also you create a uniform playing field to many degrees, a level of like fairness and accuracy, which everybody can be measured against. So I want to pull in a thread on something that you mentioned earlier. So you mentioned that a lot of you guys are sort of in the middle of all the companies and entities that are trying to figure out how to report and understand and do these things. And we know that ESG and CSR are all different factors and variables go into it. Over time, have you seen people sort of care more about the E as opposed to the G? Or how do you see that trend playing out as we move forward? I think it really depends on the industry. And so uh, a lot of folks think about NASDAQ as home for technology companies, but we actually have a really diverse set of listed companies on NASDAQ. So we have financials, we have energy companies, we have healthcare companies, and each of those areas has a little bit of a different focus. So for example, companies in the energy space are definitely focused on the E, around environment. Companies in the tech space are generally a little bit more focused on the S, 
around society and kind of the impact to their employees. And then we think G is just kind of the, the baseline. Everybody needs to have good corporate governance practices. That's actually one of the areas we, we help companies with. One of the other software platforms we offer is called NASDAQ Board Vantage, helps companies run their board meetings. We help them by doing board evaluations and managing their compliance checks. And so we do a lot of work to kind of help, again, automate and operationalize people's practices there. And of course, as an exchange, we also have some corporate governance standards that they need to meet. And so as a, an exchange, we get to set some rules around what good corporate governance looks like. So for example, companies listed on NASDAQ need to have a majority of independent board members. And so that's one of the areas that we kind of focus on supporting our co- our companies, but then also providing great protections to investors. No, I love it. So for all of our listeners out there, definitely keeping in mind, depending on the company and industry you're looking at, how they're going to weight the various factors that they are reporting and also that they're giving a lot of attention to. I think what's interesting about this space is that it's all holistic if you look at it from the way of like trying to do good and understand the whole picture of what's happening in the um, in the world and for companies. So it's definitely an interesting space for sure. I know we are almost at time. So the last question I have for you is, what should we know? Like you're somebody who has a very unique level of expertise, but also a unique level of exposure to all the big players in the world and people who are very influential and at the cutting edge. Um, give us a secret. Tell us something that we should know or keep in mind as we think about things leading into the future. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I um, talk to my team a lot about is daily habits. And so I think uh, when you look at what makes people really successful, you know, you never really focus on the outcomes, you focus on the process. And so if you can figure out what are the small things you need to do every single day to advance towards your goals, those daily habits are going to serve you way better in the long run than focusing on the outcomes or, or the goals that you're trying to achieve. We had uh, Allison Felix speak at our sales kickoff this year. She's just an amazing athlete, entrepreneur uh, all around. And she kind of talked about her process of uh, a, a multi-time uh, medal winner at the Olympics and about how for her and her team, it was much more about the process and how she got though, rather than you know standing on the podium with the medals. And so I think those those daily habits, you know, what can you do every single day to get a little bit better? Uh, that's really what drives success in the, the long run. Now, I'm going to repeat that last thing you said because it's profound. What can we do every single day to get better? So, Jeff, thank you so much for your time, for your brain power, for the conversation. It was absolutely a pleasure having you here. We'll be back with more Silicon Valley vibes after this. Hey everyone, Becca Killian here, Manager of Events for Silicon Valley Leadership Group, with a reminder to register for this year's 45th Annual Forum presented by Amazon and PG&E. Our marquee event will take place on December 14th at Levi Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers. Open to all SVLG member company employees, this event will spark discussions on AI and its impact on elections. Don't miss a chance to hear about our rising startup initiative and exclusive networking with industry leaders, innovators, and policymakers at the cocktail reception. For more information on this event and to register, please go to svlg.org forward slash events. We hope to see you there. Hey everyone, it's your favorite AI Vivi. And now back to your number one listening destination, Silicon Valley Vibes. Welcome back to SVB. We're going to shift gears a bit from ESG to sustainability. You see what I did there, Nadia? Anyway, in the first part of my conversation with Dr. Raul Mopuri, we covered energy efficiency when it comes to View Smart Windows and how their product not only cuts down on the energy bill, 
but also increases its users' quality of life as well. You know, this conversation was extremely interesting to me. I love the fact that we're taking a very tech-leaning um, view, pun intended, when it comes to how we look at things and talk about things, but also being able to talk about the quality of life issue. A lot of times we think about sustainability and we lose focus of the fact that there are people and human beings in the mix. So let's check it out. Welcome everyone. You're plugged into Silicon Valley Vibes, the premier source for information and insights into the innovation economy. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Rao Mupuri, CEO of You, a company creating smart windows that change the way we live and work. Rao, it's great to have you join us. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be here. Rao, can you tell us a little bit about Vue? What does the company do? Yeah, so Peter, I've been building Vue for almost the last 15 years. You know, this is a technology meets infrastructure play. The primary motivation for me to get into this back in 2008 was um, I too was driven by the need to address climate change. And as you know, energy is a significant part of how we live. And the initial motivation, um, you know, for us to get into this was that buildings consume 40% of all energy. And if you want to address climate change, you have to solve the energy problem in buildings. You know, roughly, you know, most of the focus around climate change and sustainability up until that point, and frankly, most of up until this point, has been around energy generation, primarily renewables. Uh, it would be solar, wind, um, and there's been a lot of progress made in those areas, as you know. And then also then transportation, uh, more recently with electric cars, and those are still in early stages, but it's very clear now across society that we will have most of the mobility moving to electric. But efficiency has had less attention. I saw that and we saw that and we said, you can't get to net zero without addressing use. And by the way, roughly for every 10 watts produced at a central power plant, only about a watt makes it into work. So if you actually solve for reducing that watt, you actually have a 10x benefit all the way back through the grid. And so energy efficiency has always been on the list and we focused on that. Within that, some 30% of energy is lost across the envelope, the windows. There's been a lot of different ideas, including making windows smaller, uh, but it's a conflict with quality of life and what humans need to survive and thrive. And so that's a collision uh, that we decided to focus on, which is how do we think about the day-to-day -day window and what can we do to make it significantly more efficient? And so the smart window is one that automatically adjusts itself throughout the day to solve for glare and heat. And it's like transition sunglasses for the buildings where as the sun rises up on the east, uh, assuming there's no cloud cover or fog or some interruption to the sun, you would tint uh, that side of the building so that you block the glare and you block the heat from entering the building. So you consume less energy to cool the building and you consume less energy to light the building. Because uh, often what we're doing is we're using blinds and shades to control glare and we're losing that natural light that you know sun gives us. Um, and all of us prefer the natural light to artificial lighting. And so significant impact on cooling and lighting loads, significant impact on peak load, uh, those, those summer afternoons when the grid would have been stressed the most 
is also when the, the HVAC systems are running the hardest. So if you can cut down that peak load, it has a benefit all the way through societal infrastructure to that very expensive peak power. So we knew that addressing the window to reduce energy is important from a climate change perspective, except while this idea has existed for about 60 years, not unlike others, like electric cars are a 150-year-old idea, but it's not until you put together the right technologies that you can make it scale and be viable um, at, a, at a societal level. So we focused initially on working on the basic technology and spent several years in an iterative process to come up with the right materials, the right devices, the right software, and put together the full stack and iterated on various versions of our product to now in the fourth generation. We also had to build the operations, the supply chain, and the unique manufacturing uh, that we own. Uh, so that took a bunch of iterative work and drawing upon you know, my work and my colleagues' work in the semiconductor industry to take basically a semiconductor-like technology and marry it with you know, big infrastructure. And then starting with small buildings, going to medium buildings, and then to large buildings now, and continuing to grow and convince the real estate industry that we're here to be able to do large projects and can do this where this becomes everywhere someday. So that's view in a nutshell as far as the product and the company and where we are. Now, what we learned along the way is that it not only helps you save energy and is a significant building block to get to net zero and energy efficiency and climate change initiatives, but it actually is a significant improvement in people's quality of life. We named ourselves View because everybody values View, and people are actually willing to pay more money to be on a higher floor or to look at something nice like the ocean or a park or something. But natural light and views are known to have a profound impact on our health and well-being. So it's better experience, better health. And of course, there's an app for that. Um, so you can, you know, really control your environment to your liking. It's cool. It's sexy. Over the last few years, and as you know, climate change as an area for investment, as an area for consumption has varied over time. Uh, but we're really lucky that I think finally the scientific community is able to get the broader population to recognize the need for living more sustainably, companies to invest in sustainability. But also this is one of those technologies where you help the planet but you actually help yourself live a better quality of life. And Rao, what role do users play in the adoption and advocacy of View Smart Window technology? As a business, we are a B2B business at this moment. And the real estate and construction industry, for the most part, uh, in, in many of the verticals we play in, the buyer and the user are quite far apart. You know, the person making the design decision, the investment decision, is rarely the person that actually occupies the building eventually when it's complete. So they're a part in organizational dimension, but they're actually also a part in time dimension. So the cause and effect and showing that the benefits, you know, are actually relevant to the buyer are one of our biggest challenges. But really the user is who is our best advocate. And we are capturing that and driving the buyer decision in a way that makes sense. But the user of the product, your question, can be someone who doesn't even realize that they're sitting next to a smart window, often in an airport, in a gatehold area, where they may be spending 30, 40 minutes, an hour next to the window, 
you know, be thermally comfortable, visually comfortable, and not even know that it's a smart window, all the way to something much more personal. Someone has the product in their apartment and they have an app that they use to control their window. So there it's a lot more interaction, awareness, and benefits directly applicable to that person. In every case, I can tell you, we have data, we have engagement that shows that the user loves the product because, you know, again, as I said, the views, comfort are deeply personal to each of us. And one kind of anecdotal evidence I can tell you, when we talk to people in commercial real estate, you know, people that might be designing buildings, people that are building buildings, or people that are making a decision as an investment in a building, they often talk about their own home and the challenges that they faced at different times where, you know, hey, the west side of my house is uninhabitable. Oh my God, the glare is so bad that my blinds are down all the time and I feel like I'm in a cave. Personal space is very important to people. They quickly latch on to why this makes sense to themselves. And to your question, the users of the product are the biggest beneficiaries and they love the product. We'll be back with more Silicon Valley vibes after this. Hey everyone, Becca Killian here, manager of events for Silicon Valley Leadership Group with a reminder to register for this year's 45th annual forum presented by Amazon and PG&E. Our marquee event will take place on December 14th at Levi Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers. Open to all SVLG member company employees. This event will spark discussions on AI and its impact on elections. Don't miss a chance to hear about our rising startup initiative and exclusive networking with industry leaders, innovators, and policymakers at the cocktail reception. For more information on this event and to register, please go to svlg.org forward slash events. We hope to see you there. Hey everyone, it's your favorite AI Vivi. And now back to your number one listening destination, Silicon Valley Vibes. Welcome back to SVV. So Peter, one of the things I loved about your conversation with Dr. Rao was the fact that we talked about efficiency from a very nerdy point of view. This was something that many of us in the energy and environmental space may have learned you know, back in the day, but it's always a good reminder to make sure that we are you know, maintaining those electrons, protons, and neutrons and making sure that we're able to put the best use of them when we bring them into our homes in order to make sure that we are not reducing waste where we can. Absolutely, Nadia. This conversation really did highlight how important it is to think about the humans that actually occupy the buildings and making sure that they are in a safe and productive environment and VIEW is really working towards that end goal. And Dr. Rao Mupuri also has an interesting take on the housing shortage right now, given the current state of commercial real estate as it relates to VIEW's smart windows and the technology that drives it when it comes to new buildings, repositionings and conversions from office to residential. Let's listen in. Personal space is very important to people. They quickly latch on to why this makes sense to themselves. And to your question, the users of the product are the biggest beneficiaries and they love the product. Raul, your story there is exactly my experience at home. Every morning, the very first thing out of bed that I do is open the blinds to get some of that natural light to start my day. And I love this concept that you are helping people live lives where they have a better quality of life as well. 
Can you share a little bit about how that development came about as you were creating the view product and the technology? Yeah, Peter, first, I want to compliment you. You're one of, you know, a few people that actually does that, you know, opening the blinds when you wake up. It is so important for humans to have access to light and views. You know, we actually did some studies where we've shown that something like 59%, almost 60% of all the window surface, actually Urban Green Council did this study, is permanently covered. So you put this window, you think you have the views, and on the day you design the building or you opened it, it looks airy, it looks like it's all light, uh, but literally as soon as it's occupied, the shades come down and almost 60% of it is permanently covered, number one. Number two, there was another study that showed that the shades move about 2% of the time. They stay in that condition all the time. So I want to compliment you for being one of the few. And the listeners here, you know, given most of them won't have smart windows in their buildings, the most important selfish thing you can do for yourself as a human being is to move those shades and blinds so that you access light. But to your question, you know, one of the things we like to do at VIEW is to think about everything for, from first principles. In other words, that means you're not being incremental to somebody else's imagination. You're stepping back saying, what are we trying to do? So to your question on humans and our health and our life, you can break human biology down into three parts, our physiology, our biochemistry, and our psychology. And turns out every one of those three areas of our biology is intricately linked to access to natural light. We have in us what's called circadian rhythm, and, and circa is time, and rhythm is kind of the 24-hour cycle of the Earth rotating around itself, and then 365-plus days where it rotates around the sun. And as it does that, you're getting you know, the day and night cycles. And the length of that varies based on how close you are to the sun, and that's what creates the seasons and the tilt and so on. Every living being on Earth, not only humans, mammals, all animals, but actually every plant, every living being on Earth has a circadian rhythm, and that rhythm is a 24-hour rhythm. And the way that living beings access that rhythm or know that setting of every 24 hours is based on access to the sun. Things in our physiology, for example, how your eye functions, how your eye adjusts to focal length, you know, have a profound impact on how far away you're focusing. Things in our biochemistry, which is secretion of different enzymes and, and chemicals in our body that impact when you feel sleepy, when you're blood pressure changes, body temperature going up and down, your bowel movement, all of those are impacted by the biochemistry of our body. And then psychology, which is you know how you feel, how you think have impacts, your cognitive function all have an impact based on access to light and views. We can go deep in this subject, and a lot of this is peer-reviewed published material, and we use uh, this type of information to tune our products as well now. But bottom line is, in terms of outcomes, in an office environment, you can reduce headaches and eye strain by over 50% if you're sitting next to a smart window compared to, let's call it, the dumb window with blinds and shades and lack of light and, and you know glare and heat. You reduce, we've seen incidents of depression by over uh, 75%. Over 30 minutes of um, improved sleep, increased sleep. You actually fall asleep a little bit earlier because your body is better adjusted to uh, the circadian rhythm. And then finally, cognitive function. Uh, we've shown significant improvements in people's cognitive function with measured 
objective measurements uh, where you show that people that sit next to smart windows have you know better cognitive function. So when you think about all of these, we're not only solving for climate and doing the right thing by the planet, but we're actually helping ourselves live better by using this cool technology uh, that also you know, delivers to the best performance of the humans as well. And by the way, this is true for quality of air we breathe, you know, thermal comfort, visual comfort, cognitive function. So there's a bunch of things we can do. And I would liken this to what happened with food in the last 30, 40 years, where we've been educated on the quality of food we eat. Used to be, you know, to survive, we just ate calories. And we were pretty indiscriminate about the type of calories we were consuming, you know, producing marketing, consuming. Whereas today, we pay more attention to what goes in our bodies. And we recognize that fresh, organic, low fat, low sugar, all these have an impact on our bodies. And likewise, spaces, I call it, you know, space is the next frontier in health, um, where we're going to start to pay attention to what's going on to the space around us. And the pandemic was actually a jolt, where we started to pay attention to the quality of air we breathe, but then natural light views, all these things are important. And we we do see an opportunity here to educate the population and frankly, use technology and behaviors as a way to live better. Well, access to natural light is very important to humans. Another human need is housing. And there is a severe lack of affordable units in the Bay Area and many parts of the Golden State. How does VIEW work with developers to address this housing problem? You know, so we are we are nothing but a technology and a tool uh, for developers and policymakers, others to use. But if you look at what's going on in the U.S. right now, there is still a severe housing shortage, as you pointed out, Bay Area, California, and, and nationwide. And that shortage is driven by just, I guess, lack of investment over decades. But frankly, you know, urbanization continues. All young people want to live near city centers, right? Um, everyone wants to live a better quality of life. And then when you put those together, you, you do have a shortage of housing in and around these urban work centers. You know, a lot of construction is going on still um, in housing, and specifically multifamily housing, to your question. You know, one is obviously new buildings uh, that are going up, and you do need uh, new buildings because as society moves around and where employment is, the type of transit-oriented systems might be, you are seeing in major cities um, vertical development by way of multifamily housing that is going on and frankly needed for the next several decades. The second opportunity is renovations. So, you know, the more sustainable buildings is a building is one that doesn't need to be built. So if you've got societal infrastructure that's already in place, you know, why not reposition it? Why not make it modern and make it inhabitable? And then the third area is there is a moment here in this cycle where we have too much office space. And that's because of, you know, work from home trends that accelerated during the pandemic. Um, but, you know, a lot of people, companies have adjusted to a mixed mode, although there is a move to bring people back to the office. And I think that's going to that's going to reduce some of this uh, um, overage we have in office. Uh, but there is a recognition that you've got buildings in the wrong place, the wrong type. And so I think you will see, depending on building type, because not every office building is suitable for use as, as housing, uh, but many of the office buildings are actually capable of being really good residences, you know, with some surgery. 
Um, so you'll have to change windows or put windows where there weren't. But there is an opportunity to here, here to address the shortage in housing, doing all three things, right? New builds, repositionings, and frankly, conversions from office to residential. The beauty of the smart window is it applies to all of them. I mean, we've done probably 25% of all the projects we've completed are repositionings and renovations. They tended to be so far mostly office repositionings. There was an old tired office that was, you know, consuming lots of energy and not good for sustainability, but frankly, also not modern. And the owners were having a tough time you know, getting them leased. When you change the windows, put a new HVAC system, put a new elevator system, you know, with good bones in a good location, those have performed really well. And so I think we will see renovations of all types coming up in these next uh, 10 to 20 years. Well, we've included many executives and entrepreneurs here on Silicon Valley Vibes. Can you offer any words of advice to young professionals who are just beginning their journey? It's a broad question, Peter. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to focus it on innovation and entrepreneurship, given I know a lot of your audience are, are, uh, tend to lean that way. You know, again, you know, looking back on my own career um, and having really interacted and experienced a lot of my colleagues and friends go through these journeys, uh, I mean, the good news is, number one, I will tell you, the opportunities are massive and dare I say endless. You know, pick things where your impact is is great. Don't become a cog in the wheel. There's a lot of problems, uh, but there's a lot of opportunities to you know dedicate yourself to a career and have an impact. Don't be afraid to take on tougher problems. And by definition, they're going to be tough. Um, the highs will be high, the lows will be low. But I meet often a lot of people that go through halfway through their career and go, look, I don't know how what I do matters. Uh, that's, I think, tragic in modern life where you can do beyond just, you know, make a living. I think you can make a difference. I will tell you, don't be limited by what you went to school for, right? You know, you may have spent four years studying something, but hopefully you learned how to learn and you're not going to be defined only by the subject you picked when you were 18 years old, when you had to choose a major, you know, quite often. The opportunity for these interconnected you know, careers is is the greatest that it's ever been. And yeah, I mean, there are risks when you become an entrepreneur and take on a new problem and you believe you can do it better than how it's already been done. But often I find that the personal risks in doing that are overblown. Um, and I think the Valley is a great representation of that because you find entrepreneurs here that have failed multiple times and then succeeded um, and you would never know that if you never took that risk. And as I said, society has huge issues today, and but also that's an opportunity to apply yourself fully and uh, do something that, that makes a difference. Rao, thank you for joining us today. VIEW is innovating on climate sustainability, human productivity, and improving the quality of life for users. We appreciate the insights. Thank you for having me, Peter, and uh, keep up the great work. That was the conversation, something that is in many households, mostly every household, that we take for granted. Learned a little bit more about technology and the role that it can play, but also how and the features that we have in our homes can play a role towards our goals for net zero. Nadia, each of the guests spoke to the whole of people. That is how a person's whole life informs and shapes their work. Jeff Thomas addressed how people are pushing corporations to proactively move on issues that impact communities, 
and people on a personal level and not simply focusing on bottom line matters. And Rao talked about the importance of smart technologies that support people at home, at work, and beyond. Tech and corporate leadership really does require the ability to think about humans as actual people who are gonna be impacted. And I thought both of the conversations highlighted that idea very well. And that wraps up this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes. Please like, share, and subscribe. And remember, with millions of stories in Silicon Valley, you can't always get all the details, but you can get the vibes right here on Silicon Valley Vibes. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes, featuring Jeff Thomas and Dr. Rao Malpuri. How about a hand for the amazing humans and AIs that make our show so great? Produced by human Chuck Dickinson and the other humans at Silicon Valley Leadership Group. And from all of us at SVV, thanks for listening and we hope you have a great day.